Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor John Gable delivers the message entitled, People Jesus Met Along the Way, John the Baptist. So join us now from the sanctuary of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. If you'd like to follow along in a pew Bible, that would be on page 784. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all of Judea were going out to him in all the regions along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him within the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat to the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to stay in Matthew's Gospel and hear yet another John story. Matthew chapter 11, picking up at the second verse. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. <clears throat> As they went away, Jesus began, <clears throat> excuse me, 
began, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone then who has ears listen. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the day, for the privilege now to sit beneath the teaching of your word, and we would pray indeed that we would have ears to listen to what it is you have to say to us. And this too, through and for the sake of Christ, we pray it. Amen. During the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk together about people that Jesus met along the way, today starting with John the Baptist. These are all folks we are likely familiar with, but of course I hope we'll learn something more or something new about each of them, as each of them are interesting characters and all have fascinating stories of their own to tell. But more importantly, as we look together at these individuals, we want to see how Jesus related to them and how they in turn related to Jesus. For it wasn't always the same with those he came alongside. And beyond that, I hope we will gain some insight as to how Jesus relates to each one of us, individually, uniquely, and then how we might better relate to one another. It's safe to say that John was the very first one to meet Jesus, to recognize him as the promised Messiah, and that being in utero. Remember how it was John, or Elizabeth carrying John, who greeted then the pregnant Mary, and John leaped in her womb. And though we have no record of it in the gospel, it is very likely that two, these two boys knew each other as they grew up, or at least knew of each other, particularly so as they each entered into their respective ministries. A bit of reminder about John's background. John was a PK. He was a preacher's kid. His father, Zechariah, was a priest. But when he felt the call to ministry, it was not to the traditional role of the priesthood centered in Jerusalem, but in a much more radical way, he was called out into the wilderness, down by the Jordan River. John was a character, wore camel's clothing, eating locusts and wild honey, living off the land. And everything we know about him would suggest that he was very charismatic. In the first century, it would be safe to say that John was a rock star. 
People were going out from Jerusalem, out into the wilderness to hear John preach this message of repentance, to be baptized by him in the Jordan. In fact, many thought that he was the chosen one, that he was the promised Messiah. And I can't help but think that that would have been tempting for John, but not so. Never was he mistaken as to his role or his identity. He knew all along that he was fulfilling this ancient prophecy that an Elijah-like character, an Elijah-like prophet would come to announce the coming of promised Messiah. And so today it's appropriate that we look at John on this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend. For Martin, in the same way, pointed to John to Jesus, rather, as John did. The first time we see John and Jesus together is when Jesus goes with the crowds to the Jordan to be baptized by him, the story which Terry read for us this morning. So consider the ways they related to one another in that instance. As was appropriate for the day, this would have been a mentor-mentee relationship. The younger the lesser known, the less popular Jesus, going to be anointed, baptized in this case, by the elder, more prominent John. And in an act of humility, Jesus, who we know to be the greater in this relationship, was honoring the importance of the one that we know to be the lesser in this relationship. And so as they come alongside one another, John knew this about Jesus, so he demurred, saying, no, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus insisted that this is the way it was intended to be. And once baptized, the Holy Spirit endows him with power, and Jesus begins his public ministry. So just as it is significant to note how Jesus honored the importance of John's ministry, so we also note how John clearly understood the role he was given to play. He clearly knew that as popular as he was, he was the supporting actor, not the lead character in this drama of salvation. This understanding of his role is highlighted in another story told in John's Gospel, one we didn't read this morning but may be familiar to us. In it, John is walking one day with his disciples. It's another way of the Gospel writer saying John had an important ministry of his own, a parallel ministry. He had disciples of his own at this point. As they are walking, John sees Jesus coming towards them. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew who Jesus was. John knew what Jesus had come to do. So one of his own disciples asks about this Jesus, and John instructs him to go and inquire for himself. John is literally handing off one of his disciples to Jesus that disciple being Andrew. Andrew proceeds to go and find his brother Simon Peter. Simon Peter. The two of them now become followers of Jesus. Andrew saying to his brother, come and see for yourself, for we have found the Messiah. 
I've told you before, John the Baptist is um, my second favorite character in all of Scripture, primarily because of what we see of him here. All along the way, John knew that God had given him an important ministry, that of preparing the way of the Lord, and he was good at it. But all along the way, he also knew who he was and who he was not. When asked directly, are you the one, he answered unambiguously, I am not the Messiah. Given his popularity, it would have been so easy for John to get confused about who he was and what he had been called to do. He could have gotten the big head and thought, I don't know, well, maybe I am. But he didn't. He knew all along that he was called to know the way, to point to the way, and then to get out of the way. Unfortunately, too many since the time of John have not been so clear in their calling. Individuals, leaders, pastors, even churches can totally misunderstand their callings, particularly as their popularity grows. Suddenly they begin to think, you know, maybe I am pretty special. And maybe the way we do things here is the right way. And those who do things differently than we do, think differently, act differently, maybe we're in the right and they're in the wrong. And when we begin doing that, we start pointing to ourselves rather than to Jesus. We start believing our own press releases as we try to carve out our following, undergird support for our own ministries. We become jealous of another's growth or popularity. Even those who are doing really good, faithful, kingdom-building kinds of ministries in Jesus' name. Yet how unlike John is that? Yet how true to our human nature. As Jesus' ministry grew, John applauded it, saying, he must increase, I must decrease. I was reading last evening as I was heading down uh, an article in Christianity Today. In it, Dallas Willard, a name familiar to perhaps some of us, many of us, was quoted as having, was he was speaking to a gathering of pastors and he asked them, what is the primary calling of a pastor? Now they all started to think memorization of scripture and visiting and praying and et cetera. He said the primary calling of pastors is to pray for the growth and well-being of the congregations in their city. How different is that than the way the world teaches us and yet how essential that is to an understanding of the church as being kingdom building, not individuals, not churches, standing alone, but standing together for the cause of Christ. Friends, I think each of us would do well to do a spiritual gut check every so often, asking ourselves, can I celebrate another's growth, another's success, another's popularity or productivity in ministry, even if it takes the light off of me or off of us? 
Our second lesson from Matthew's Gospel highlights this relationship between the two in yet another way. John, at this point, has been imprisoned for speaking against the, the behaviors of the sitting Roman authority. He knows his end is near, and so he sends his disciples, again, a reminder to us that John had disciples, that he had a popular ministry going on. He sends his disciples to Jesus with one question, and one question alone. Are you the one, or should we look for another? Now, we can hear that question in several different ways. Most hear it as one of doubt, as the need for reassurance. Are you really the Messiah, Jesus? And that may well have been his intention. But I have come to hear this question in a very different way, that what he's looking for is confirmation. John has known all along that his ministry was preparing the way of the promised Messiah. So I hear him asking, I need to know, Jesus, are you the one? If you are, then my ministry is done. I can die in peace. And if you are not, it means my ministry is not yet done. I still have more work to do. Jesus responds to the question by quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says, tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. In short, the proof is in the pudding. And so decide for yourself who you believe me to be. And friends, that's basically the question that is posed to each of us still today. Now, again, John knew the ministry God had given him to do, and Jesus honored him by answering in this way. He could have responded, who do you think you are, John, questioning me? But he didn't. He simply claimed the promises of God the promises of Scripture, which John also, fulfilling the Scripture with regards to the coming of the Elijah-like being, character, needed to hear. So consider for a moment how you respond, how I respond, and how we relate to those who question our authority, question our wisdom, question our standing at home, at the office, as the leader of your HOA. Do you find yourself quickly getting defensive and back on your heels, feeling threatened and ready to argue and defend your point? Or can you, with a measure of graciousness, hear the question as a question? Even hear the critique as a critique? Jesus is remarkably humble in his relationship with John. You know, he could have pulled the power play here and put John in his place, but he didn't. He didn't need to, and neither do we in so many of our relationships. After this interchange, Jesus speaks openly to, about John to the crowds. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen who is greater than John the Baptist. High honor indeed. You see, rather than putting him down, he builds him up. All along the course of their respective ministries, either one of them could have tried to position themselves above the other. 
but neither did. As we've seen, John knew his place all along, and so he clearly stayed in his lane. But as John's ministry and popularity continued to grow, and then when he sends his disciples to interrogate Jesus, he could have said something to put him in his place, but he didn't. To the contrary, Jesus gives John the highest place of honor. No one greater than John, he says. John and Jesus could have seen each other as competitors in this world of kingdom building, each vying for the people's attention, but neither one did. Consider again how we relate to one another. Even to those that we would call our companions, our colleagues, our friends, how we can subtly or subtly come to see them as our rivals, our competitors. If we think that they're getting a, a little too much time in the limelight, how easy it is for us to put in a little dig when we hear them being complimented, how quick we are to try and one-up them when they seem to be getting a little too much attention, the envy we feel when we hear them getting credit for something we think that we have done, the, we don't see Jesus doing any of that. We don't see him building himself up by trying to put John down. Rather, he allowed John to grow in influence without being threatened by it. He respected John's abilities. He respected John's calling, though different than his own. You know, it takes great confidence, self-awareness, to be able to say, with regards to the one we consider our competitor, there is no one greater than they. Well, we say, yeah, but Jesus is God. I mean, of course he could do that. Agreed. But he was also fully human, like you and I are. And he too was trying to build up a ministry at the same time. Well, we can say, yeah, but it's human nature for us to act defensively when someone else seems to be playing the stronger hand or to feel threatened by another's success or attention. And again, I agree. But our desire here is not to learn how to be more human. We're good at that. Our desire here is to learn how to be more Christ-like in our relations with others. So what I think is essential in this relationship between John and Jesus, which I believe would be helpful in our relationships as well, is twofold. First, each of them knew who they were and the role they were given to play. Jesus knew who he was, so he didn't need to lord it over John. And John clearly knew who he was and so was able to confidently say, I am not the Messiah. Friends, perhaps we need to learn to say the same about ourselves in our relationships with others. I'm not the Messiah. I am not your higher power. I am not your ultimate authority. I am not your end all and be all. I need you to understand that about me, and I need to understand that about myself. The second thing that jumps out to me in this relationship between John and Jesus is their mutual respect for one another that is born of utter humility. 
John was appropriately humble before Jesus. No, I should be baptized by you, not you, me. And Jesus was appropriately humble before John, saying no one born of woman is greater than he. Imagine how different so many of our relationships and interactions with others would be if we assumed that same kind of posture of respect and humility, honoring, respecting, admiring the gifts and abilities of another without feeling threatened ourselves, not putting them down by any means, but also not putting ourselves down, not dissing others, not dissing ourselves. Friends, we have so much to learn about the way Jesus related to others, how he interacted with them, and they with him, just as we have so much to learn about ourselves and ways we can better relate to one another, not as rivals, not as competitors, but as companions in the gospel, at home, at the office, in the community, in the world around us. All to the honor and glory of Jesus. May we become more like him. Amen. And let us pray. Lord, we sit beneath your teaching and it would be relatively easy for us to say, boy, I'm glad he was talking to somebody else and not to me. May we each hear this message that Jesus calls us to a different way of living, a different way of relating with one another. Lord, we know how to be like us. We want to be more like you. Grace us in that way. We pray it in his precious name. Lord, hear our prayer. You're listening to Sunday with Tab, a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked sermons and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indie. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B. PRES.org. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. What good is faith? Pastor John Gable of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. Faith in God is a wonderful gift. At Tab, we desire to be a resource for those who want to grow deep and strong in their relationship with God through teaching, worship, and prayer. But we also know that faith does no one any good if it doesn't help them to become more Christ-like by engaging and serving our neighbors, the community, and the world. TAB has a long history of putting hands and feet to faith through active service and ministry, just as Jesus did. 
If you'd like to learn more about having an active faith, stop on by or visit us at tabprez.org. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis, invites you to worship Sunday morning at 8 or 10 a.m. If you can't make it in person, tune in to Sunday with Tab, Sunday mornings at 6.30 on WIBC, or find us online at tabprez.org.